My special guest today is the author of How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes, published in 2015, and How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, a guide to toxic personalities due for publication this year. Nigel Beckles is a certified relationship coach, workshop facilitator, speaker, qualified radio presenter, and online advisor. He is, the, he is a contributor to the award-winning movie documentary, Looking for Love, now available on DVD. He is also a member of Survivor Provider Services, dedicated to supporting professionals and organisations with information regarding victims and survivors of abusive relationships. He is also a co-founder of Reflections on Abusive Relationships, a Facebook online group supporting victims and survivors of abuse with over 20,000 members. Nigel, I want to start with this question. What made you enter the vast and complicated world of love and relationship? Well, the thing that causes many people the most problems are relationships and money. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, people always have been asking me about relationship issues and asking me for advice for a long time. And I've always enjoyed reading and writing and research. So... I thought to myself, well, instead of people asking me about the relationships all the time, I'll just write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, which took me about five years. I had to do a lot of research. It's got over 800 um, sources of reference. Whoa. Quite a big job. That's massive. And um, we will talk about that. We will talk about how people can get hold of that book. Um but what I want to, well, basically, your first book was about personal development and healthy romantic relationships. But your book to be published this year, in 2020, is about abusive relationships. Now, what made you decide to write this book? Okay. Well, the first book wasn't just about personal, personal development, although there's quite a large section of material on that, because that's important, uh, because... You know, if you if you haven't worked on your personal development, you're less likely to find a healthy relationship. Okay. In terms of the book I'm working on this year, abusive relationships and toxic personalities. Well, I I co-founded a Facebook group about eight years ago <laughs> um, for victims and survivors of relationship abuse. Um, it's since grown to over twenty thousand members. Wow. I've been involved in abuse groups as well. So it's clearly a, a big problem, and it's a problem that's not really spoken about, especially as far as men are concerned. Um, people always assume that the man is usually the perpetrator, but no, that's not the case at all. So, um, so in this in this book, you're really going to break down for for us the different things that can happen in an unhealthy relationship, and yeah, is that is that correct? Well, yes, what can happen, um, what support is available, uh, the different types of personality types or personality disorders who are more likely to be abusers. Um, I even have a chapter on abusive parents. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because abusive parents often bring up children and grow, grow into adults or abusive themselves. Wow, yes. Mm-hmm. So it covers a, a, range, a range of topics around abuse and abusive personalities. So and the red flags to look out for as well, because that's important. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. And I, I was going to actually ha- ask you, um, how do we create healthy personal boundaries for ourselves in relationships? Well, healthy personal boundaries are very, very important because at the end of the day, if you haven't got healthy boundaries, you're more likely to get involved with an abuser. So mm-hmm. you've got to know your you've got to know your boundaries. Um, you've got to know your self worth. And boundaries cover different areas because you have like emotional boundaries, uh, material boundaries mental boundaries, time and injury, energy boundaries, and physical boundaries. Mm. So there's like five areas that a person should really be looking to work on. Um, because a lack of boundaries invites a lack of respect. So yeah. you have to be very um, clear. But in terms of setting boundaries uh, in your relationships, you, you have to define your limits. Uh, you have to listen to your own feelings, uh, use concise communication, know your worth, be consistent, uh, take responsibility for your part, and um, don't be afraid to say no. One of my favourite sayings is, um, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> yes. People are scared, though, of saying no, uh, and people are scared of asking for what they want. Uh, why do you think that is, Nigel? Well, it could be it could be a variety of reasons. It could be low self esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person could be a people pleaser. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Fear of rejection. So really, you know, and there, there are more reasons besides those. Just the one keeping three. But at the end of the day, but it's fear that drives drives the. A lack of setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. But not so, you know, if, if you set a boundary and someone crosses it and you say no and they reject you, you may feel you may feel rejected or you may feel sad. Mm-hmm. But at the end, of, you have to know your worth. Just why I go back. why I go back to self-esteem. Because once you've set your boundaries, no point setting boundaries and then letting people trample all over them because that, that's just a waste of time. Um, I, 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 I feel that, I, I, you know, what I want to ask you now is how important is it to set a vision, passion and purpose for your life if you are single before embarking on a relationship? So what would you say to that, um, Nigel? Well... Being single is the perfect time to set a vision for your life mm-hmm. and any potential relationship that you may be hoping for in the future. Uh, you have to set you have to set your vision and, and set the stall out basically. Um, a lot of people are reluctant to be single. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like being alone. <laughs> um, but there are plenty of things you can do when you're single. You, know, you can work on yourself, you can learn meditation, you can explore your spirituality, uh, and take up a hobby. There are things that you can do, it just depends on you decide to do them. 
But again, what, what, why would you? Why do you think that is, Nigel? Why do you think people are scared? Do you think it's because of the way society is, where you know people are always asking people, "Oh, are you in a relationship? Are you married? When are you going to be in a relationship? When are you going to get married?" Do you think it's things like that, or do you think people are just really don't know how to make good use of being single? Well. You know, there can be societal pressure um, to keep a winning. Um, societal pressure in terms of, you know, why haven't you married yet? There can be cultural pressure because mm-hmm. maybe the family wants their daughter to get married so she can have grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be low self-esteem reasons because the person doesn't feel whole unless they're with somebody. So, you know, again... A variety of reasons. Now, one size doesn't fit all. That's right. But um, there's nothing wrong with being single. As I say, it's, it's the perfect time to actually check yourself out and see maybe where you've gone wrong in the past. It's mm-hmm. a great time to actually sit down and review your relationship or relationships mm-hmm. history and have an honest look at yourself and say, well, what did I do? possibly do wrong and what could I have done better um, maybe my expectations were too high you know it takes a lot of self-analysis but then again you have to be brave to make an honest evaluation of yourself and you know the person may even decide to go to counselling or to talk to somebody professional to kind of explore those type of issues so they can really get a handle on why they don't like being alone mm-hmm. or even why their previous relationships fail but unless you explore and investigate you're not going to know are you so then you're more likely to drop into the same type of relationship that you've had previously that's previously the same yeah. result well a person's never too old to do some soul searching because of marriage uh, well marriage it's not the gold standard anymore. Back in the day, back in the 50s, 60s, maybe even the 70s, yeah, marriage was the done thing. But um, now, it's um, it's not the gold standard. That's one. Um, two, if you look at the stats, as far as married couples are concerned, I think it's around about 75% of women um, who are, say, 50 plus. Um, they initiate divorce at the highest rate so that's another interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. because before back in the day um, a woman might look at marriage as being a source of security mm-hmm. financial and otherwise um, whereas now women are saying well not happy and it could well have something to do with a midlife crisis as well or they're reflecting on their life or a combination of things mm-hmm. but the majority of women um, initiate divorce in this day and age. And the other thing, as far as, um, you know, 50 plus, 50 plus age is concerned, is that they have the highest rate of STDs. So, well, obviously, a lot of these, the older generation are getting frisky. They're very... <laughs> no, this is the thing. <laughs> frisky. Frisky older people. <laughs> They've been getting frisky, but they're not um, necessarily protecting themselves. Mm, not good. And obviously, if you're, if you're only 
if you're only having sex with one partner, mm-hmm. and assuming that you're both clean, then obviously there's less likelihood of picking up an STD. But absolutely, you know, if you really find yourself out there on the market, as it were, on the market, and you decide to have sexual encounters, or the more sexual encounters you decide to have, the higher the risk, especially if you're um, indulging in unprotected sex. So, Nigel, would you say then that older people are actually engaging in in sort of multiple sex or sex with multiple partners, um, even more so than the young? I wouldn't wouldn't say more, but at the end of the day, the level of STDs in the older generation, say 50 up, it is obviously, it's obviously high. Um, so, because you have to remember, so if someone's been with the same person for 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, some, some of the guys, I suppose, might be like kids in a sweet shop. And then also, there's the advent of the internet. So, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to initially go out anywhere to um meet anybody you can sit at home sit on your phone or your TV or your laptop and you can search the insights and you know set up meetups and you don't have to go anywhere internet dating is is, is the is the world's number one for meeting new people and dating new people you know and it's not going to change any any time soon so that is just the reality of the situation and then the other thing you have to bear in mind is you know there are people who actually rely on their dating profile. Well, they might put up a picture that's like 20 years old or 15 years old. Might be in for a shot. Well, it's a high, it's a, it's high risk for everybody, especially depending on what you contract. So, like, say for syphilis or oh, pain, they're not curable. They're manageable. But up until this point in time, they're not curable. You could end up, I would say, but a person can end up with an STD that they're stuck with for life. And, and that's the thing as well. So, that, that again, is there anything, Nigel, that you can advise people to maybe check? Is there any way of checking that people are clean and safe, or are you just, is it just a draw of the luck? Or, you know, can you tell, is there any way that you can tell by someone, you know, by their behaviour or by talking to them to find out whether this is someone who's cautious with, you know, their sexual well, health. Well, even, I mean, using a condom is better than not using a condom, but even condom isn't 100% foolproof mm-hmm. or 100% um, protection. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, some, if a guy pulls out his penis and it's covered in scabs. Oh, my Lord. Or, Vice versa, then I think that's, that's going to be a pretty good indicator. You know, it doesn't cost anything to go to, to, the, to your local hospital and get yourself checked out. You know, HIV, in fact, they do all the tests. For the two, yeah, the two people get changed. Same, yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. So, once you, if you're single, fine, say you've been in a relationship, mm-hmm. and then you, it, it ends, then the wisest thing to do is to go and get yourself checked out. I've done it myself, you know. Yes. Come back with a clean, clean bit of house. You've got the 
and then hopefully they should be able to produce evidence as well. Because on the ship it will say, this is the date, and these are the things that they've been tested for, mm-hmm. and all these tests have come back clear. Yes. No, so, you, you, haven't got any guarantee, you haven't got any guarantees, you haven't had sex. Oh my god, Nigel, this is. But it's better having a tool. Because as soon as you have to rely, you have to rely on the other person's honesty, don't you? So this is this is exactly what this is why I'm saying it's um you know you you are when you're in a relationship whether you, when you're in a relationship or you're getting into a relationship it is a test of your metal because like you just said you do, even if you are in a you know a long term relationship you know one person could go off and do something and come back come back with something so you're you really have to trust and that's that's what it's all built on really isn't it. Because like you said, someone could go and get the clean bill of health and, you know, do something in between and don't realise that they've picked something up. Mm, well, that's true. That is, that is very true. But, you know, in terms of one would hope if you indulge in a relationship with someone, because obviously you've got the dating, the dating phase first. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of get to know the person and you people that they are worthy of your trust, then obviously that goes a long way. But, you know, you can never say never, can you? In terms of spirituality, um, funny enough, I wrote a chapter about spirituality and sex for my first book, but it didn't make it into the final published <gasps> draft. That's an important chapter, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I wrote 800 pages for the draft. <gasps> So some things just had to go. <laughs> um, sat down with my editor, so you know. But anyway, but yeah, spirit, spirituality and sex. I mean, basically, the two are are linked, mm-hmm. effectively, in my opinion, because agree. Because you would agree. Um, there is a theory that says that when you have sex with someone, you're having sex with every person that your partner had sex with. Previous. That makes sense. Um, yeah. On an energetic level. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I agree that there is a spiritual exchange. Um, in terms of counselling, well, if you have got a pattern of unhealthy relationships, or a person has got a pattern of unhealthy relationships, they've got to look at the common denominator, mm-hmm. which is themselves. Um, you can't keep pointing fingers at previous partners and saying, oh, it's his fault or it's her fault. You've got to take a step back and say, well, how am I contributing to this pattern? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I've, I've got a uh, chapter on that in my first book um, about relationship patterns. But yeah, you've got, you know, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to sit down and look at yourself objectively. Um, and there's, not, there's nothing wrong with going to counselling in my book. Nothing wrong with going to counselling, nothing, nothing wrong with going to therapy. Yeah. It's that okay. get you to understand a particular relationship pattern. And if it's unhealthy, then to break it. Uh, Nigel, I'm really excited about asking you, what are the seven essential qualities to look for in a potential partner? Because, you know... That is very, that is the thing, isn't it? What are we looking for, is what people are asking. 
well, what you should, well, what I would be looking for <laughs> um, would be kindness, um, oh. emotional and availability, um, positive mindset, high self-esteem, integrity, a responsible and mature attitude, and a commitment to personal growth. Those are the seven that I would be looking for. Yeah. Um, and kindness is important. Oh my goodness. Yes. If you're not, if you're with someone who isn't kind, well, that's that's not really a good. That's not a good start, is it? Not and at all. I should, um, I should really add to that. Um, sympathy or empathy. Empathy. Does, does, yes. But then I thought that 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 kind of would be included in kindness. Um, people who lack sympathy or lack empathy tend not to be very kind people, basically. Um, so those are seven um, essential, because that word essential is, is very important. But, you know, what, what could that person possibly get if they see those seven qualities or most of those qualities in a potential partner? Well, in an ideal world, I'll get a healthy <laughs> and get a healthy partner. Um, because, I mean, again, I find it's difficult, it's difficult for some guys when it comes to the emotional openness. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys are not, are not orientated to show their emotions. So, I'm not saying that there are guys out there who do not, just that guys will tend to show their emotions and affections in a, a different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they are all, um, yeah. Did I say positive mindset? Yeah, you want someone around, you know, you want to be with someone who's positive. Definitely, um, that's a good one. Yeah, because negative, see, the thing is, negative attitudes are like contagious diseases. I and mean, if you hang around with somebody who's negative for too long, they're going to make you negative too. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've experienced it myself, and I've, and I've got a couple of books on being happy. And uh, what's the other one? Our Fortnite Laws of Power. Oh. And they, they, for those books, they talk about avoiding negative people, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True. You know, if you hang around with negative people, you're eventually going to become negative yourself. Yeah. And you may not know that it's happening until it's too late. You see, the thing is with negativity, um, it's often insidious. Mm-hmm. So it's slowly, gradual. Um, you know, a bit like the, the um, energy vampire. It doesn't happen straight all at once. You don't. It, no, no, you, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same as abusive relationships. It doesn't happen all at once. No. It's, a, it's a whole process. Yes. Well, in terms of abusive relationships, they're very all about power and control. So that's, that's what the abuser shoots at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And they will employ particular tactics to um, assert and maintain. Um, power control. Um, what I wanted to ask you quickly is, as you talked about negativity, I know that um, in your next book you're going to sort of expand on some of the characteristics or characters, and, and I know there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, psychopaths and you know people like that. Um, is there anything that you can say to that at, in in this conversation, or you know, is there anything you can say to that regarding negativity and how people 
can, you know, look out for or find, you know, sort of say, oh, you know, that sounds a little bit like, you know, let me look into that before I go any further, before I invest any more into this relationship? Well, they are, they are, um, they are red flags that you can um, look out for. But mm-hmm. again, the problem being is that if an abuser walked up to you, say you're single and an abuser starts to chat you up, <laughs> he's not going to put a fat label on his head saying, oh, well, I'm an, I'm an abuser. Exactly. So there are certain red flags you can look out for like being controlling Mm -hmm. uh, selfish or preoccupied with themselves uh, jealous possessive um, lacking respect outbursts of rage Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning um, love bombing excessive attention um, but then eventually they all become emotionally distant but by that time you probably be involved anyway um, unreliable, inconsistent, acting addictions, irresponsible or immature, uh, egotistical, arrogant. Yes, they are red flags out you know, that you can watch out for. <laughs> but the problem is, as it said in the book on Help I'm in Love with a Narcissist, a lot of people <laughs> don't recognize the red flags. No. They were, too, they were too busy falling in love. Yeah. Or, getting love bombed and then before they know it they're in it there's an analogy that I like about the frog they say oh yeah if you put a frog in a cold pot of water uh-huh. um, it will stay there but if you put it in a hot pot of water it'll it'll it will be out ah, but yes well if you, yeah but if you put it in the cold pot of water and you cut the water slowly slowly to a boiling point yeah Stay there and boil and to death, yeah. Cool. And that's very similar to abusive relationships because mm-hmm. often you don't know you're in it until you're in it, <laughs> unfortunately. But there, are various, there are various reasons why a person will stay um, in an abusive relationship. And it, you know, sometimes during the um, relationship, you know, their self-esteem gets broken down. Um, there are various tactics that an abuser will use, you know, like um, intimidation, emotional abuse, um, isolating their partner, using children, um, economic abuse, <laughs> coercion and, and, and threats. Oh, gosh. You know, so they're, 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 you know, there are various tactics that an abuser will, will, will use <laughs> with, um, Keep a person trapped in the relationship. Because what a lot of people don't understand is that domestic violence is, is not only um, physical. You know, it can be verbal, yeah. emotional, physical, sexual, financial, economic. Yeah. You know. Um. And the thing you have to remember, especially for women, because for women, on average, two women a week in the UK are murdered by a partner and the most dangerous time for a woman in an abusive relationship is when she leaves yes attempts to leave or has left yes 
that's you know, that feeling that feeling in itself can keep can keep especially a woman trapped <laughs> for um a long time. That doesn't only apply to to women, it applies to men as well, but by far the the majority of domestic violence, abuse, whatever form it takes, um is perpetrated by men on women. Mm-hmm. Not to say they're not um, men who are not domestic violence victims as well, mm-hmm. or domestic abuse victims, because the stats say it's up to 40% of men are victims as well. Wow. So, you know, I think stats say um, something like one in six men will be a, vic- a victim of domestic abuse. And as I recall, uh, um, one man is killed every fortnight. Oh. By a partner or ex-partner. But again, you know, the the, the images we are set as, uh, as a society is that, you know, men are always the perpetrators. And it's not the case. And, then, and that's not... And that's also a societal issue because when you look at it, the last time I checked, which was late last year, there was only one domestic violence unit for men in the whole of the UK. Wow. Um, domestic abuse is about power and control. <laughs> and someone who's hooked into power and control is not necessarily going to give up that power and control of injury. Mm, sure. um, which is where stalking can come in. Mm. I mean, you can have, you might just meet someone on the first date, the other person says, I'm not interested, and they just won't give it up. Um, there was a lady, that I've included her in my, in my book draft, mm-hmm. um, met this guy, she was at a pub, and they were watching a live band, and, um, he was interested and she wasn't. And then he started stalking her. You know, oh his name outside her house in pain. You know, you, you need to die. Oh my goodness. Um, I, think, I think he killed her cat. <gasps> um, and in the end, he actually attacked her and stabbed her several times. God. Um, and uh, he went to prison, obviously. obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and but then, then you know, a lot of a lot of abusers, you know, they can have undiagnosed personality disorders. Obviously, there's something wrong within them somewhere because normal human beings don't treat other human beings like that. But if you're seen as a a possession or an object, um, instead of a human being, it obviously makes it easier for an abuser to carry out their abuse. And so you, if you're seeing a possession, then as far as they're concerned, they can treat you as they like. Because mm-hmm. you belong to them. She went in a pub, there was a band playing, and she met him at the pub where the band was. Wow. And she made it was an interested and then, you know, the school team commenced. So there was nothing she could look out for because she was just checking him out, didn't like, you know, didn't think he was right for her, which is within her right. Yeah. They were just in the same, they were just in the same place at the same time, mm-hmm. watching a band. 
and that was it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pre-planned date or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was the same time and they started talking. Yeah. And it kind of proceeded from there. She made it clear from the beginning she was an interested. Mm-hmm. And he was accepted. Mm-hmm. But they did say that, you know, um, a great many stalkers do have some type of mental health issue. Really, yes. Which is pretty, pretty obvious, really. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I've experienced, I've experienced cyber-stalking, and I've, I've experienced... Oh, my God. Well. So, um, That's a question. I'm, cyber-stalking. Talk to us about that. Well, funny, just reminded me when you were talking about rejection. Yeah. Um, you know, I was dating this young lady and... Uh, it wasn't working out. I wasn't. I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Some of her responses and attitude, like blaming mm-hmm. single mothers for being single mothers. And one day, we had, I think the last discussion we had was that I said, you know, you cannot blame single mothers for being single mothers. They could be single mothers from a variety of ones. You know, you know, they, they could be divorced, husband could have died, partner could have, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. I was about a 45 minute drive to her place, so you know, I done the right thing, drove over there, told her, look, this is not working out, don't want to see you anymore. Mm-hmm. By the time I got home, I had about 45, 50 messages on my answer machine. Sorry, four or five or 45? 45, 45 to 50 as I recall. Oh my God. Ranging from I hate you to I love you to can we work this out? So then, what happened after that? Oh, then I was getting 40, 50 hang up calls a night. So in the end, I reported it to police and the police put a trace on my line. Then the police called me up to the station and said, now we know who it is and what do you want us to do about this? And I said, well, I want you to prosecute her to the for the extent of the law. And he goes, well, you don't really need to do that. We'll just call her in and give her a formal caution. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> a few days after that, I'm at work and a colleague calls me into the corridor. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, Nigel, this lady rang up and said, uh, you don't have to attend the rape trial anymore. You are? Me, yeah, precisely. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to attend the rape trial anymore. And, uh, yeah, that was the last time I heard from her. Or heard of her, anyway. But, um, yeah, so as you said, no rejection. Some people don't handle rejection very well, unfortunately. But, you know, but that sounds. It just sounds un- un- unbelievable. You know, you're just dating someone and it sounds like you were, you know, you went, you went to see them, and you just explained certain things, and um, the rage again, <laughs> you know, coming from that person. Um, and again, would you say that that could be some, you know, that sort of saying, you know, this is not for me, triggered something that was in them that hadn't been healed? Because it sounds what? like, yeah, it doesn't sound like what you did as the problem. It sounds like something was already there from before. Well, clearly, um, she had issues. Um, 
and and the interesting thing about that was she was um, as I recall she was um, the head of a human resources department. Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, she had a she had a degree, and you know, she had a picture in her living room, picture of her in her hat and gown from university. So you think, well, okay, person's educated, but you can't assume because someone's educated <laughs> that they're not unstable or unbalanced in some way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you. Wow. Or with um, personality disorders, you know, they're often well respected in their communities. Have you know, have um, responsible jobs, mm-hmm. have high-powered jobs, etc. Um, and that's what can blindside a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, even some, even some psychopaths, sociopaths, narcissists, they're well-known in the church. You know, but all in the fact that the church just provides perfect cover, really. You don't expect to find someone with a nasty personality or a toxic personality in the church. Not really. But they exist. Yes. So across the board, and, you know, obviously from what you've just said there about this particular um, individual, you know, they can be law, you know, upstanding um, citizens that people look up to, um, and they can still produce this type of behaviour. Well, as they say, um... You know, abusers tend to choose where they abuse and when they abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could be the model of civility in public and in private, they're terrorizing their partner. <laughs> um, and also what they will do is if they're physical, if they're physical abusers, they will make it a point to strike the person where it won't necessarily be seen. Mm-hmm. So instead of hitting them, use my hitting them on the arm or on the upper leg. Yes. Or in the stomach, you know, places that are not, you know, where boots not going to be visual. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that's they know what they're doing, and that tells me that for those physical abusers, it is premeditated. Because yeah. one, they're going to do it in private, and two, they're going to choose where to, where to do it. It's not just a spontaneous yeah. thing. Yeah. No, not at all. Wow. Um, Nigel, just a couple more questions for you. What importance, if any, do values play in building a successful relationship? Because I feel um, some of the problems can be that people have different values and so the one person believes this, the other person believes something else. How important is it for both these people to have at least the key core values in place? Well, it's crucial, really. Um... I mean, core values, I mean, you, your values can change as you grow older. Absolutely. I mean, your values as a, teen, a teenager... It's definitely different now. ...when you're a parent or basically when you're, when you're an adult. But your values affect all the major decisions and choices you make as an adult, you know, and that's include your spiritual or religious beliefs or your career choices or your political beliefs. So the misconception is a lot of people think that it's good to have a partner that shares their interests. Mm-hmm. You know? But that's not the thing. The thing is yes. they need to share core values. Exactly. Totally agree with that. 
because it reduces the potential for serious disagreements. So sharing interests is all very good and probably create good times, etc. Um, but the real test comes when core values can clash when you know basic decisions have to be made, like you know, where are our, where are our children going to go to school, or mm. what are they going to follow? You know, so you've got to really dating. You've got to find out. You've got to sit down and explore what what are the person's values, because if you don't know, and you find out after you're involved, or maybe talking about getting married then you're that couple is heading for problems. There's no no about that. Exactly. But anyway, if I take for example you, your partner has strong religious beliefs, whether they're Catholic or Muslim or whatever. And then the partner with the religious beliefs and start to pressure you to co- to convert to their belief. <laughs> yes. Because it's part of their value system, isn't it? A very big so part, yes. It's part of their value system. But then you may run into problems because even if you agree, the person may agree, but then they may agree reluctantly mm-hmm. and then resent, it, resent that decision afterwards. So I totally agree with that. Is there anything else you wanted to add there, um, Nigel? Well, in, in terms of, well, you know, I mean, if you've got, everyone tends to have personal interests, but I would say a lot of those personal interests you can probably pursue on your own. Exactly. I mean, even if you like, even if you like playing badminton or, or squash, you can find that type of, you know, you can find someone yeah. to play. you don't need to be together. Do you? Well, yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to values... Mm-hmm. That's a different. That's a different. That's a different ball game because that that can make or break a relationship. Basically, if it's different values, then you know you you need for a bumpy ride at least. <laughs> Especially if 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 one person holds strongly and strictly to their particular set of values. Yeah. Now, as I said, you know, if one person's overtly religious and the other person's not really that interested in religion or even an atheist, mm. then, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, people can have different religious beliefs and respect each other's beliefs. One can be a Muslim and one can be a Christian and they both respect their Absolutely. You know, religious yeah. beliefs. So that's not a problem. The problem is when one person or one partner wants to impose their value on another person. Exactly. And that's when the problem is. Mm. Well, it's about it's about communication, isn't it? Mm. And communication, right. communication, and active listening, because you can attempt to communicate with somebody, but if that person doesn't understand what you're saying or lacks comprehension, then you haven't really communicated, have you? Not really. So you know, it, it relies on both parties really, not only to communicate their values or whatever need that they may have or desire, that's also for the other person to listen. That's right. And then they, they, may, then they can 
make a decision whether they, you know, can accommodate that need or desire or not. <laughs> then they can obviously explain why and they can proceed from there. But all the next conversations should really be taking place before you get into deep. At the early stage, yes. Yeah, that, that's, all, that's what, um, that's, in the mind, mind, that's the purpose of dating. Yeah. And then you see, <laughs> as I say in my first book, you know, you, you go around the world and different cultures have different definitions as to what dating actually is. Some countries are just getting to know somebody. Some people define dating as actually being in an active, sexually active relationship with another person. Um, but I don't know, my definition is, you know, you... <laughs> getting to know someone and which is why I um I promote rotation dating. Um, ah yes, you talked about that before. I know when we yeah. when we had a when when we when you when you was on the show last you talked about uh, rotation dating. Can you explain that to people? Oh it's just basically it's dating more than one person at a time but there is no sex involved. Yeah. Nothing wrong with dating two or three guys or women a week if you're just getting to know them. You know, that, that, that's why it's called rotation. Well, some people call it rota- rotation dating, some people call it multiple dating. But yeah, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. So you're looking, you're, you're having a chance to select from the, the, the best possible partner. Um, rather than just going along with one person and hoping for the best? Well, basically, rotation dating is about exploring your options with, with, without a sexual component. Um, there was a story late last year where a woman said to a guy she was dating that she would continue to date other men until he <laughs> um, made a proposal of marriage. Okay. And he caved and he asked, asked, um, asked her to marry him. Okay. Okay, so basically what you're saying is it works because when the man, the man, you know, obviously realised how important this woman is to him, he will do something about it. And so the woman, you know, is, is obviously proven that you know the best man has come stepped forward so now she can stop dating those others well you know <laughs> I, I don't I don't know whether there was any sexual component to her dating ah, or not okay. so I can't, I can't bounce for on, on that score mm-hmm. um, personally I think it's, it's a bit it's a bit radical to make um, make an ultimatum because she may get what she wants in the short term. Whether it works out in the medium to long term is another question. Because do you, really? do you feel, in some ways, he may have felt, you know, um, you know, obligated or not obligated, but kind of pushed into a corner. Didn't you know? Didn't really have a real choice. Well, well, we've always got a choice. Um, clearly, he wanted to secure her. Yeah. The other thing you have to understand about guys generally is that they can be quite territorial. Mm, um, this is mine. 
if there wasn't a sexual component to her dating, he probably felt threatened. Mm-hmm, by the others, yeah. She's obviously exploring her options. Yeah. Um, and what you will note is um, if a couple are not in a relationship and the man cheats, often the woman will forgive the man for cheating. Mm. Yeah. But if you reverse the scenario, the different. A, a lot of guys, a lot of guys can't handle it, and hence that's why I say that a lot of guys are wrong territory. Mm-hmm. They just can't get past it. Um, so that is just how it. Again, I'm not saying it's fair, but you know, I personally know of of um, couples where. A man's cheating and being forgiven, and then the woman's cheating, and the guy's just said, No, he can't handle it. And the end of relationship or end of marriage. It's it gone, yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, I want to go back to rotational dating a little bit, um, Nigel, because mm. a lot of women find it really difficult to be talking to more than one man or to be out dating more than one man. Um, mm. I, I feel maybe because of the way women are wired. Um, have you come across that in your work, that women don't find it easy to do rotational dating? Um, I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think in my experience, older women do find it difficult. Oh, older was, women? Yeah, older women yeah. do find it difficult. Um, but then, as I said, it, it depends on how a person defines dating. The other thing with... Um, older generation ladies is that they are reluctant to um, indulge in online dating. Mm, yes, because it's it's not it's not part of their you know their past existence or maybe how they got into previous relationships. So there isn't mm-hmm. like a reference there for them to say, oh yeah, this could work for me. Well, it's not um, for them. It's not traditional, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. For your, your, your younger generation, it's it just how the, just how things are done these days, to a large extent. <laughs> um, like I said before, it's like the largest, the largest market for dating um, is on online dating sites, Facebook or Instagram. But of course, the um, the danger with online dating is people can present themselves how they wish. Um, and, you know, an online dating is, um, or online period is, um, it, it's a, it's a playground for, for predators. Mm. And some predators can be very dangerous. And, um, um, yeah, and could that be more difficult for older people, older women, say, than, um, you know, younger people who's grown up with um, social media and, you know, dating online and maybe can spot those things a little bit easier? Well, I don't think so. I mean, going back to the point that there's been a very large rise in STDs amongst the older generation, 50 plus, and obviously they're using online dating as well. Um... So, I don't think it's necessarily a generational thing because I think across all age groups, 
are into online dating, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think... Because uh, when we talk about the older generation, people may have this impression that, yeah, they, they just probably done it at home with their slippers on and... Oh my God. Or whatever, but that's not the case. But they're saying, you know, um, 15 to 40 and 40 to 30, etc. And it's much, it's much easier now. You don't have to, as I said, you don't have to go anywhere. You can look at profiles, sitting on your, checking at home, quite happy. You could go through, cool. You know, you could, Approach online ten women or men in an evening. It doesn't take long. Oh. Look, look at their look at their profile. Um, click like and then see if you get a response. That was never available to people offline before the internet and online dating. It, it was a much slower process. But then you know that's another thing. Um, I know I know you've got to go, but just. One more question, a couple more questions. Um, that's the thing. Cho- is it is it, is it the choice overkill now? Are people so... It's like being in a, a, a sweet factory and it's like, I don't know who to choose. I don't, you know, so many people, so many people seem, you know, they're attracted to visually, they seem to like the profile or what have you. Can it be also really difficult for people to choose now? Well, it's a numbers game, isn't it? Basically. <laughs> You know, so if you if you're doing if you're approaching ten profiles online a night and you get two responses, well, that's ten responses in a week. So then the more the more you fish, the more you're likely to catch, <laughs> to catch something. Yeah. Oh so it's just numbers, pure, pure and simple for a lot of people. And then the other thing is profiles is really they've got to be careful what they put on their profiles. I mean I put in stuff like oh easy going, uh, looking for someone to love, <clears throat> um, would like to meet loving man. Those are the wrong things to put on a profile. Because that that just sends a subliminal message that that woman is desperate. And they date, yeah that's what I was thinking. I was thinking putting that it just sounds a little bit like take me tonight or something. Yeah. Not, not the best um, words to, to, to use. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, those are the, profi- those are the types of uh, profiles that predators are looking for. The, the, the needy and, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah the lonely a, and the needy, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a tough, just a green light for a predator. The story, actually, I included in my first book, this lady, white lady, 48, I think she was. Right. And she was on the um, divorce, and she was on the online dating scene. Anyway, she contacted this uh, American uh, army. He was a soldier, American soldier. Mm-hmm. Well, um, they start conversing online. Then they start saying, "Oh, can you send me some money for this? Can you send me some oh, money for that?" Yes. And she ended up fifty thousand pounds in debt. At risk of living out. It's not. Um, it's not uncommon. It's called. Um, it's called the four one nine scam. Four one nine is a fraud code from Nigeria. So, but it's you know a few Google romance scams. You know, it's it's prevalent. It, it's you know it's it's widespread. I mean, what I tend to notice is 
the women tend, the victims tend to be women. Mm-hmm. But I think that is to an extent because a lot of men don't report it. I think a lot of men just cut their losses and just because they're too embarrassed. I included that story in my first book, and that must have been what we now twenty twenty. So must have been about twenty thirteen, something like that. Because mm-hmm. so my book came out in twenty fifteen, so. So this is a this is a big this is a growing area that people need to look out for. Well, they're, they're, all, they're always unfortunately there's always going to be desperate and gullible men and women out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's just. It's just the way of the world. I mean, you, I mean, even someone can, I mean, I know of, I know of English guys, and it's not a question of race, British guys, I should say. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, go to Thailand and meet a Thai lady, bring her back to our citizenship, and she was, you know, has got everything that she needs, mm-hmm. or wants, and she's off. Um, wow. Well, yeah. Well, okay. it can be. And it can it can be men too. I mean, when I first went to Barbados back in the day, uh, I discovered um, I've discovered men called renegades, who are basically just patrolling the beaches and comes all over the Caribbean. There's patrolling the. I've I've sat down with a, a group of. Um, Oh, they call themselves shoreline executives. That was it. Right. That is up and down the beach looking for, looking for tourists, looking for female tourists, basically. Right. But some of the um, some of the women do fall in love with these guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and some of the guys I met, they travel extensively across the whole of Europe. Mm-hmm. It's based on women they've met on the beach. Wow. So. A big market out there, and um, people need to be aware. And what would you say to a woman who might be looking to travel abroad and, you know, meet a man, you know, or, you know, not, maybe, yeah, maybe travel abroad? What would you say the precautions are? Because these men are probably going to look out for her, especially if she's on her own. What would you say well, she should do? Well, definitely, well, definitely, the men are definitely going to be looking out for, for, um, Fresh targets. There's no telling about that. That's their that's their living. So I just you know I would advise just look out for the red flags. And also you have to be clear on why you're going, especially as a woman if you're going on your own, or even with a, with a couple of friends, because some of the sexual interactions abroad are transactional, effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what the that's what some of the women are going for, and yeah. that's what the, some of the guys are prepared to provide. Yeah, that's what I was asking earlier on. Is that something that is a negotiation? They both know, you know, they both know what they're in for. Well, your question was, what would I advise when you're travelling on our own? Oh, yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, at the end of the day, it depends what she's going for. She's going for a half holiday just to relax and chill out. <laughs> but, in, you know, obviously, she's going to rebuff any advances because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're willing to and they can be persistent you know you have to know why you're, why you're going there really um, I was in a situation in Barbados once where 
and he was a DJ at the nightclub. And um, after the night was over, he said, oh, Nigel, come, come and talk to one of these ladies. Which I did not really like. It was like five o'clock in the morning, mind you. And I'm like, all right then. So he's in the scene, frolicking with this woman. I'm just sitting down with the other lady, just chatting to her. <laughs> and she was like, oh, she was like, oh, we come, we come to my baby since we're here. Um, and then we've got, we've got um, boyfriends back in, I think it was Nottingham. Right. Some Northern cities, and we've got, We've got boyfriends back home, but what happens in Barbados stays in Barbados. Okay. So, and even that they had that program on Sky, I think it was called um, Caribbean Uncovered. Oh. Uh, I mean, you know, it covered the same type of subject, but I, I had kind of done my investigations and research, and I've even written about that particular experience in my life, just never published it. Um, <laughs> Like, <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's, it's transactional at the end of the day. Because, you know, as I say, don't even go, go there precisely for that reason. Other than just, you know, just go on holiday and chill out. So it depends on what you're going for, basically. Wow. So, ladies, if you're travelling, be aware, you know, decide what you're going for and mm-hmm. be aware, you know... Um, that, you know, you could be targeted. Oh, definitely. No, whether, whether that's the lady's um, intention or not, is not, is not really him or there. Mm-hmm. But she will be approached. She will be approached. Especially if she's sitting on the beach on her own. Wow. She will be approached. There's no two ways about that. Just depends on how she responds. Well, a woman shouldn't be surprised if she's sitting on a Caribbean beach and a, and a, a guy approaches it. Yeah. Mm. But that's just, that's just that's just a, that's a, yeah, that, yeah, I hear that. That's kind of to be expected. But it's obviously up to her what she does next. Mm, indeed. Yeah. Nigel, I've got one more question, but before I ask you, can you share your details? And I know you've got some fabulous um, groups. Oh, cool that um, people do you mind or no uh, how can wow. they get in touch with you how can they get your books well my book um, how to avoid making big relationship mistakes is available on Amazon uh, my website is relationshipbookmistakes.com so I do a regular blog on there yeah and the Facebook group I have for um victims and survivors of school infections or in abusive relationships and that can be found on Facebook. Um, so yeah, um, I'm always findable as they say. <laughs> what made you start the groups that you started? Because relationship is a big, you know, it's a big topic, but you've chosen aspect of relationship that is very popular on social media. What made you decide to go in that direction to start when you started, when you formulated your group? Well, okay, the first group I started was Reflections on Relationships. Um, that has evolved into a group that discusses a variety of topics, not just relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very lively. We've probably got about got over 11,000 members. 
<laughs> uh, when we start, when I started that group, then we had people joining who thought it was a support group. And in fact, it, I set it up as a debating, a debating mm-hmm. group. Yes. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine and said, well, why don't we set up a support group? Then we should have somewhere to direct people. So mm-hmm. if they join this group with the assumption that it's a support group, yes. we will have a support group to direct them to. So, and then that was over eight years ago. So that's effectively how the group started. And then obviously when you start reading the stories and, you know, the experiences that people have been through, you know, it's very sad. You know, it's very, it's very sad. You know, and then recently I set up another group um, for male survivors of domestic abuse. Sorry, say that again, Nigel. What's the name of this, this new group? Oh, the group of the male survivors of relationship oh. abuse. Oh, wow. Because, um, you know, men don't really have um, a forum. Um, well, I'm sure there are others on, there are other ones on Facebook. I just think to myself, well, I think there's a, I think there's a need for this. I mean, there's a group I belong to called um, Mouth. Male survivors of narcissistic abuse. Oh my goodness. Um, that's got kind of about 4,000 members. Um, obviously, it's all male. Okay. Um, which is again a good, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good group. And I've done men only workshops um, before, um, which are always um, interesting, interesting and enlightening. Um, but yeah, but guys, you know, as I've said um, previously, you know, a lot of guys are reluctant to speak out. To, yeah, discuss discuss their emotions, especially with other men, because they, they they can worry about looking weak um, with regards to their peers or to their friends. So, it can be a challenge to actually get men to a workshop, mm-hmm. let alone get them to open up and discuss um, whatever issues they may be struggling with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think it's important to provide that kind of um, facility when you bear in mind that on average 84 men per week commit suicide. That's, and that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, well, the, the, the male suicide rate is two thirds higher than it is for women. Um, you know, 80, 84 men a week is a, a lot of a lot of men. So obviously, there's a crisis there that you know, needs to be addressed. Indeed. Wow. So, and and that's I think that's really good. You know, because women, you know, we're we're quite good at creating spaces, you know, for ourselves. You know, women's groups. But I think it's good that you know you've put together. A male space, and would you say, Nigel? You know, in terms of numbers, would you say that there's pretty good numbers? People are men are actively actively using this male group. Well, the, well, the group I've started is relatively new, so <laughs> probably got about um, fifty members. Mm-hmm. But it's a start. Yeah. Uh-huh. When I started, you know, when I started, when I started um, reflections on abusive relationships, well, we didn't have any members. Wow. I you know, and then it just, it it just, just grew and grew and grew. Yeah, I, I've 
Yeah, because I've seen your groups and um, the activity is very, you know, very strong. People, you know, utilise it. It's, it's, like you said, you've got over 25 posts in some of your groups in one day, which is a lot. No, indeed. It is, it is but then it just reflects the enormity of the problem. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a group I belong to on Facebook. That's for survivors of narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, etc. They've got nearly 60,000 members. If you just search narcissists on Facebook, many, many groups. So it's obviously a problem. Wow. Yes, because people don't people don't fill up groups if it's not something that resonates with them. So we, we're gonna, you know, in the when we have you back on, and I hope you do come back on, we want to kind of delve more into these abusive relationships because obviously people are suffering and struggling, and um, you know they're in pain. And as, although you know every day people are falling in love, and that's really lovely, but on the other side, you know, people are in pain, suffering, struggling, you know, suicidal because of love gone wrong. And um, I think what I like is that you've written two books, one about how to embark on, you know, love, you know, in a lovely way, romantic love, um, utilising personal development. But you're also looking at the other side of love and um, the real traumas that people are going through. And I really feel we do need to have a, you know, a conversation on that. Um, oh, I'd be, I'd, be, um, I'd be happy to. I mean, I was drawn initially, obviously, to the relationship side. Or the, you know, how to have a positive relationship. Uh, yes, yes. Um, but I've been drawn now to abusive relationships. So I think that's more, that's more of a pressing... Um, issue. I mean, I'm a certified relationship coach, got my certificate, got my qualification, etc. Um, but I think abusive relationships is uh, it's, all, it's all very well coaching people how to find a healthy, balanced partner. Mm-hmm. All good, and you know, that's fair enough. But I think the more pressing need is how to educate people how to escape that type of relationship if they're unfortunate enough to find themselves, you know, in that predicament. Um, A very good friend of mine, she set up an organisation called Survivor Provider Services where we um, go into organisations and we basically educate um, regarding abusive relationships. Um, you know, right. if someone, if someone is being abused, say you're working with a colleague, mm-hmm. you're not working with a colleague, oh gosh, that must have been, oh, that's been years ago now. And like every other week, she'd come into, into work with you know, a bruise in her arm or bruise in her eye. But obviously, she was being oh, abused. But she was so, terrified of him she wouldn't she wouldn't leave him and I, you know, I've not spoken to any of my ex-colleagues he was well known in the department um, so I don't know after this time whether she's still with him or not so, yeah, so survival provider services you know we 
you know, we talk to social workers, professionals, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, because the thing with abusive relationships, it's quite a specialised area, and even therapists and counsellors don't necessarily understand um, the dynamics of abuse, an abusive relationship. Yeah, and, I, I can um, imagine, yes. Yeah. So I always say to people, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship and you feel you need counselling or therapy, you find a therapist who specialises in, in domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and preferably um, a therapist who's actually experienced it themselves. Would be even better. Yeah. has a has a working knowledge of what the, what the, um, the dynamics of that type of relationship can be and the best options for working out an exit strategy ah yes because that is re- this is where the, 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 the woman or the person could lose their life if they get it wrong yeah well, indeed and, it's, and it's, it's even more difficult um, if there are children involved <laughs> and the abuser has visitation rights ah uh, because sometimes contact centers are not always available. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can't rely on family and friends to be a third party. Depends if the children are old enough to go and visit on their own. You know, there's a, a whole other actual potential problems awaiting. Even if you do leave an abuse and you have children, mm-hmm. you have got children, and you can make a, um, a clean split. That's fine. You can yes. just go no contact and um, maintain that and that's the end of that basically but if you can't go full no contact there's a method called the grey rock method which basically is you're you're just very business like Mm -hmm. and you have to interact with um, the abuser you know you just keep your answer short sweet to the point Mm -hmm. do not discuss the, the previous relationship you shared just Short, simple, to the point. Yes. And those are, you know, the two methods. I mean, no contact's obviously better, but not everyone's in that position. Yeah, especially if there's, like you say, there's children involved. Sometimes, you know, the, the contact has to, to the communication has to be there in some in some way. And I, I really feel that this is a very important topic because your love and relationship area covers everything it's you know mental health your spiritual health your emotional your physical everything and it affects your finances as well every everything so i really feel it's a really important topic that you know and um nigel is one of the best people i know to bring you you know sort of the information and cutting edge information it's important to um find the right therapist you know so you know if you're looking for a therapist you need to check their credentials um talk about your goals work out a map to where you want to get to you know you need to kind of keep up with your progress um but you also got to maintain your independence you know you shouldn't be going to a therapist to kind of rely on them to to, to sort out your problems to fix again. your life yeah you yeah. Um, we'll create a supportive environment for healing, you know, and encourage the person 
to access their own resources if possible. Um, the the agriculturists are not going to kind of approach the professions by seeking that the client is going to end up dependent on him or her because that, that's doing more. That more can be another it. problem. Yeah. Obviously, with you setting up these groups and seeing so many people. You know, you are seeing people right at the edge of the situation. It's not just say, I learned, you know, I, I studied therapy years ago and I'm using, you know, those tools. And, you know, it is, it is the training is really good and, and we know that therapists can make a difference. But I think what I'm hearing you say is they should have some experience of, you know, some of the more gritty stuff that is going on in people's relationships. Well, ideally, they should have it experience. It's not, not, it's not essential. I mean, um, there's a book by Robert Burney, The Dance of Wounded Souls, and he, and he says, um, yeah, ideally, you should um, try and find a therapist who has experienced what you, as the potential client, has experienced, because a person who has not been in the dark cannot lead you into their light. Not really. I 100% agree with that. And, you know, and also I believe we, you know, there are more survivors who understand the experience and behaviours and the trauma of what they've been through than um, many therapists. Because effectively they, they haven't been through it. And they, they may have as many fancy credentials on their wall as they wish or they like but whether they can actually assist and support someone who is recovering from an abusive relationship is another question mm-hmm. and when you're when you're seeking to recover you haven't really got any time to waste you want to recover as quickly as you can but at the same time you have to understand that healing takes time it's not an overnight thing Very true. because you've got, you know, got post traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder, you've got trauma bonds, you've got triggers, you know, and I was reading a, um, I was reading a story on um, Facebook the other day, one of the survivor groups, and the lady was saying she still hasn't recovered emotionally after 13 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. But if the abuse affects different people in different ways, it also depends on how severe the abuse was. It also depends what type of abuse it it was as well. Yeah. Um, and and whether you deal, you know, whether you are actually dealing with it or whether, you know, I think if you're actively, as you say, you know, going for, say, some therapy or working on what's happened to you, then it probably won't be as long as that. But I've also heard, I don't know how true that is, they say for every year you've kind of gone through something, you know, like in a, in a relationship, it takes half that time to naturally heal and, you know, get over it I don't know if that is um, I think that's the in fact I included that in in the first book if that's a normal breakup so effectively on average because there's no one size fits all but on average if it's, if it's been a new relationship it might take you three to six months to recover you know but everyone's different but if it's an abusive relationship well <laughs> You know, you can... Um, a lifetime. <laughs> Gosh. Well, 
Well, not from the law, you have packed into this conversation and um, we have to get you back and to definitely take carry on from the abuse because I really feel a lot of people can benefit from that and um, yeah you've got a wisdom on that and definitely I'm looking forward to bringing you back on um, anything you would like to just share or add about relationships? Um, anything you, any advice you might want to give to anybody who's going through anything out there right now um, before we wrap up this sex, this segment? Well, if you're single and dating, um, be careful out there. <laughs> what I can say, really, because um, there are a lot of people roaming around with undiagnosed personality disorders who can present very well um, but can be very dangerous um, for someone who's going through an abusive relationship I would say reach out and seek support as soon as possible right. um, I mean there, there, there are ways ways and means to work out an exit strategy and uh, execute it um, which will minimise risk for when you leave um, or he or she leaves for that matter sure. um, if it's done the right way wow and that's, no one has to suffer an abusive relationship alone I mean there are more resources charities and organisations out for women than they are for men but there are support organizations that do exist for men um, one of the ones I'm impressed with is um, Mankind is a charity you can find them online and there's various there's various others but Mankind Mankind I tend to look at on a regular basis because they tend to update their information quite quickly mm-hmm. and, got, and it's a very useful resource but any any man going to an abusive relationship they just go online and Google um, support for abused men. They'll, they'll find various organisations. 
Um, and I suppose that with women too, you know, like the um, domestic violence hotline to name one. Um, yeah, there are resources out there for someone who's in an abusive relationship. They just got, they just got to um, search it out. Yeah, be prepared to, you know, make yeah. the, the decision that it's time to go and do whatever it takes, um, but in a safe way. Well. Yeah, but they can reach out to family and friends as well, but... You know, it just depends really because sometimes, depending on the abuse, that they they could actually put their family member or friends at in risk. danger. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's a uh, it's kind of like a case by case basis here, and um, sometimes you're not going to you may not know what the reaction of the abuser is if a family member or friend approaches him or her. Yeah. An unknown quantity, so that that can be quite difficult. Wow. So you just have to plan, uh, you know, a safe strategy, have, you know, have have some help from somebody who is going to, who you feel understands what you're going through and is going to help you in this safe exit and that's the important thing it should be a safe exit not something that you tell to oh, everybody yeah you don't want to put yourselves in more danger I mean I mean I mean there's the uh, National Domestic Violence UK organisation uh, and they're they're free from the is 0808 Seven. Um, there's the male victims of domestic abuse confidential helpline, and that's what um zero one eight two three 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 four two four four. There's also the Samaritans. You oh, can yes. con- contact them. Uh, obviously, if you've got a social worker, you know, you can contact them. But the most important thing is. If someone who's abused decides to leave, then they've got to they've got to make a safe exit strategy. Yes, and, and that's the most that's the most um, important the most part. Yeah, important thing. And the other thing I would say just before I go is that um, many abuse experts um, recommend um, I follow their lead is mm-hmm. that. Couples therapy is not recommended if one of the partners is abusive. Mm, that makes sense, yeah. Because all the abuser tends to want to do is just turn it around, blame the person who's being abused, yeah. and if the person who's being abused does bring up the abuse, it's quite possible they'll get abused even more after they leave the session. Yes. If they don't hear things they like, yes, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yes, I look forward to um, our next instalment. Yes. <laughs> this, has been, <laughs> this has been very enlightening. And um, yeah. wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nigel. Um, yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. You take care now.